Welcome to Making Our Way, a podcast where we have conversations about some of the toughest and the best moments in life. This is a place where we hear from people who've created a way forward in spite of and sometimes because of the struggles they face. My own journey raising a child with a rare disease, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, is the inspiration for this. But this isn't just about Duchenne or my story. We all have something we're carrying. That's just life. So this is a place for all of us, for conversation, for connection, and to gain strength from each other. We are each other's keepers, and we can also be each other's teachers. We are better together. I'm your host, Marisa Penrod. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Making Our Way. Today, we're talking with Danny Bader. When Danny was just 28 years old, in a terrifying accident, 8,000 volts of electricity tore through him, in effect, killing him until he came back to life moments later. Danny says in those moments, he connected with something bigger than all of us, and it transformed him and it set him on his life's path. Between that near-death moment and today, he's navigated guilt and struggle and suffering and even thoughts of taking his own life. But what he came to understand and embrace is that none of us are immune to difficulty and heartbreak. But there is another side to those moments and periods in our life. Danny believes wholeheartedly in the power of the human spirit and our resilience to move us through the toughest of times and to create joyful lives. He talks with me today about having vision, about understanding what we cannot control, but influencing what we can control. He shares three powerful questions to help us build resilience and to understand the difference between just living and really being alive. He's a best-selling author and he's a highly sought-after speaker, but more than that, he is committed to helping other people through his own struggles and his hard-won wisdom. He's real and he's generous and he's calming and he's practical with his tips and advice. Danny's near-death story is fascinating, but what's even more amazing is that he chose to make it matter. He makes me feel like no matter what tough stuff we're facing, we can still have a life filled with heart and hope and purpose. I hope he does the same for you. Hi, Danny. It's great to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Marisa. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So there's so much that we could talk about. You are so many things. You are a writer, you're a speaker, a trainer, you are a podcast host yourself. There's so many facets of your life we could talk about, but you influence so many other people in their life and on their journeys. But before we get into that, what I would love to talk about is a little bit about your own life, your own journey, kind of what led you to this point in your life, led you to your career path, your calling. And that specifically is what you talk about often, but it's a tragedy, a tragic accident in 1992, a number of years ago. Yeah. So I was um, 28 years of age, almost 29. And a friend and I were, I was working for two friends. We were lowering a metal ladder that's used as a hoist. So it doesn't really collapse. And we were lowering off a roof and he was on one side of it on the ground. And I was on the other side, you get it up between you. And then the other guy kind of walks it out. We saw these electric lines and I had a feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't feel like, are we going to be clear of these? 
And we, you know, we agreed that we were, and we went ahead with it and we hit the electric line and it had about eight to 10,000 volts of electricity in it, according to all the investigation afterwards. And that electricity simply killed my friend and it killed me. I came back to life. He didn't, we tragically lost a, a wonderful man, father, brother, son, just a really good guy. So that was the experience, you know, that happened for me and, and the, the other brother that was on site and came and did CPR on me said I was probably dead for eight minutes, you know, by his mm -hmm. estimation before mm -hmm. all the paramedics and everybody arrived. And he had tried CPR on me and then given me up for dead, went to work on his brother and went across the street to make a phone call because, you know, 1992, not too many iPhones around then. Yeah. The interesting thing about it, and I use interesting for lack of a better word, is when I got hit with the electricity, I had an absolute calm and a peace is the best way to describe it. And I'd ask the audience to understand that I'm using words of this world mm -hmm. to describe mm -hmm. an experience that was not of this world. So I saw the other brother coming down the ladder and I was yelling to him, hey, get your brother, get your brother. Mm -hmm. I wasn't yelling for help or anything. As I said, I had calm and peace. I was aware that I was dying or dead. And then my soul, my spirit was just joined back with what I believe to be God. And it mm -hmm. was wonderful and beautiful and loving and everything else. The, the interesting, again, I use that word. The interesting thing is when Stu and I first talked after the accident, after paramedics and police got there, and he said, man, what happened? And I started to describe to him. I said, we hit the wires. And he said, yes, I know. And I, I told him that I saw him coming down the ladder and I was yelling to him to get his brother. Hmm. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, Stu, I saw you coming down. I was yelling to you. And he said, you didn't say anything. He said, I came to you first and worked on me for a little while and then gave me up for dead, ran across the street, ran back past me, still dead, and then went to work on his brother. So, you know, I definitely had that experience of I was no longer in the physical world as we know it. And yeah. I, I kind of was working to communicate with him. And he said, no, that's the kind of the short story of an event that had a, a big impact on my life. So from there, you know, decades ago to here, in the immediate aftermath of that, tell us what happened next. So you were conscious again on site at, at the site of the accident? Right. Yeah, I just came back to life, which is the book that I wrote about that called Back to Life, The Path of Resilience, and the podcast is called Back to Life. So yeah, I, I was just back to life and I crawled over and started to assist Stu. You know, when I crawled up next to him, he was working on his brother and he looked at me and he said, how are you here? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but in his mind, right, he, he, he had worked on me and given me up for dead. And now, now I'm back. I crawl up next to him. So then after that, you know, they took me to one hospital. They let me know Bruce passed away. You know, I was a mess. They flew me to another hospital because I had burns on my hands and my feet and my heart was still a little irregular. And I was in the hospital for 10 days and then I got out and I just started on, on a journey, um, a downward spiral pretty much. And, mm -hmm. and I don't mm -hmm. know that everybody knew how bad it was until I got to the point, I went to the, the Outer Banks in North Carolina and, and was holding really strong thoughts about taking my own life. And I even looked at a hose one day to put in my tailpipe in my Jeep. I was just gonna drive on the beach and thankfully I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Very, very close. When I was looking to buy the hose, this woman kind of walked by, I'll never forget. She kind of like spooked me. Mm. She just, you know, she just, she didn't do anything. She just, oh, excuse me, you know, she said something and just kind of snapped me out of my thoughts. So just, yeah, that dark journey of trying to figure out why him, not me, you know, getting out of the blame and guilt that, you know, it was my fault that the accident happened. Right. Just trying to move through all those human things that challenge us from time to time. 
So Danny, what was that? I think that for so many of us, when we're faced with a tragic situation and we are spared, it can be anything, right? It can be a car accident or it can be a loved one gets a horrific diagnosis and we're by their side and we we walk with them, but we are not the one. People call it survivor's guilt or just right. that sense of, I wish I could take their place or to your point, that question of why me? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a really dark time when you were wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. How did you start to turn it around? Yeah, it happened. It was it was one event really that put that in motion, or maybe it was the event of going down there because I was just at rock bottom. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, as people, we need to hit rock bottom before we start back up. But I remember down there, I was drinking way too much during those times for all the wrong reasons. I came out of a bar and I walked into a phone booth and called my mom and she said, when are you coming home? We can't wait to see you. Mm. And just something clicked when I walked out of there and the little voice in my head, right? Which is all how we process our life. It said, I wonder what it's gonna be like when I get better. And that was the first time I held that vision. It's very mm. important in my work, right? Vision is is what we imagine what needs to be real. It was the first time, Marisa, since the accident in July until October, where I started to entertain the thought of getting to the other side of this tragedy. Mm-hmm. I was just in it. And I really wasn't so much in it. I was still in the past of all that blame and regret. So I think it, for sure. me and for so many people, it's really important when we're in those horrible, horrendous, crappy, shitty times of our life is just to take that deep breath and understand that the human spirit is tremendously strong and you can Mm -hmm. move through it if that's the choice that you make. And that should be the choice that you make. So it's that ability to say, okay, there's another side where I'm going to come out of this, you know, this loss of my child, this tragic accident, you know, this divorce, this loss of my job, whatever one of those challenges are, there is another side. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it takes work and there's pain and anger and frustration. The key is how do you deal with the pain and the anger and the frustration? You can't let those negative forces win. They're going to show up. You can't, you know, positive thinking. They're not here. No, that's bullshit. They're here and we have to deal with them. And that's the key. How, How do we deal with them? So Danny, what you say now, and this is, you know, again, it's years and years later, but you have a a calm and a peace and of course a wisdom. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you're telling us is that so often we see that, right? We see the end result. We see who you are today. We don't often talk about the pursuit of happiness and, and how that happens and how hard won and hard fought that is sometimes. So I'm curious for you, as we talk about this, were you equipped for this? You know, were you equipped to at a 28 years old be, you know, a, a part of this tragic situation and and be really down and at your lowest point and and then to kind of pick yourself up and figure out how to make something out of it? Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have what it took already or did you have to find it? Did you have to mm-hmm. ask for help? Were there people sure. who guided you? That's a great question. I believe we all have that resilience, you know, the ability, the tenacity to move through difficult times. We all have it. Do we find it? I don't know if we find it so much as we create it, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's in it's inside of us. And now we, we create and we, we kind of bring it to the surface. And that's what I write about. I think there's four really powerful principles that have been around a long, long time that help us move to the other side. I call mm-hmm. the model that I use jackrabbit. So anybody struggling, I think we all as human beings, have the ability to move through those tough times. Mm-hmm. It's just, do we stay with it long enough? You know, there's a great quote. Somebody said, don't quit before the miracle happens. 
And those those principles that I experienced on that mm-hmm. journey back, number one was the vision to see the other side. Number two was really to create times of stillness. You know, just sit with yourself and journal and meditate. Those thoughts show up and I sit with them and I kind of just realize that they're the thoughts I'm having. I'm not my thoughts. I'm just the thinker of them. Mm-hmm. So when I get that, I go, okay, so now I can think different thoughts about this situation that are going to move me through it versus keep me in this really anxious state. And then for me, the other thing that happens is stillness is I connect with God flat out, which is, you know, the Holy Spirit, which is mm-hmm. the source of, you know, that's the greatest energy to move through our difficult times. And then the other three principles are to know yourself, pay attention to who you are, what are your values, how are you structuring your life? And also knowing yourself again is where you're kind of knowing that thought pattern, which comes out of this stillness. So you want to make sure that you know yourself. And then there's a big principle around support, really asking for help. So whether it's, you know, it's medical help where you might need some some medication, whether it is spiritual help where you need to strengthen your relationship with God, whether it's the, the support of your family and your friends, whether it's support you generate for yourself by what you read every day and the videos that you watch. Then the other side of it is even when we're going through tough times to be support, to look mm-hmm. and say, man, my life's really, I'm struggling right now. And who can I help? Because Absolutely. There's a, there's a tremendous yeah. energy, right? And you know that with Team Joseph, you know, as you struggle, you, you're such a source of support to so many people. Yep. And, and, it, and it sort of fills your own picture. I mean, there's a balance, right? You have to do for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. But Mm -hmm. I always tell my kids this, and I've told other people, if you need a miracle, Mm -hmm. be a miracle for somebody else. I love that. Just what can you do? It it also takes you out of yourself, right? Like it's really hard to have a pity party and be down and kind of self-involved when you're thinking about other people and figuring out what can I do for them? How can I help them? Yeah. I think one of the things too, and I'd love for you to just touch on this is so after my Joseph was diagnosed and I talk about Joseph all the time and mm-hmm. Duchenne and it being progressive and degenerative. And I remember when he was diagnosed for about, I only gave myself about a week to have a pity party. And I kept thinking, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want right. to be in this club. I don't want this diagnosis. I don't want to be right. a part of this. I want to give it back. Like, can we turn the clock back? Oh, yeah. And Obviously, that's, I don't know if it's naive or it's just it's a form of self-protection and denial, mm-hmm. but you can't give some of the stuff back, right? Like, right. I mean, you you couldn't take back your accident. You couldn't you couldn't bring back your, your dear friend. There are things that we just can't change. Yeah. And I got to the point where I thought, how did I possibly think that I was immune from heartache or struggle in this life? Yeah. Sure. Everybody's going to be climbing a mountain at some point. So it's not whether or not you can fight it, it's right. it's how do you find acceptance, but yet move forward and deal with it. So how do we navigate that when there are just some really crummy things? We can't really move beyond. They're, right. they're right there. We have to mm-hmm. acknowledge them, but mm-hmm. find joy sort of in spite of them sure. rather than fix them. We can't fix those things. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. What that is, Marisa, is it really talks to the fifth principle that I have in that model is, is to evolve to undergo Mm -hmm. continuous and gradual change and growth. When we understand that, as as you said, and we know that we're human beings and we are not immune from any of this suffering, from accident, from disease, from tragic loss, you know, you don't walk around expecting it in a doom and gloom fashion. And you, you also know that it's quite possible. So when it does show up, 
perhaps you have some more resilience to move through it. And if you have a faith in something bigger and you trust that when the body stops, I mean, that's our greatest fear, right? Dying. Mm -hmm. If you trust that there's an energy inside of all of us that continues on after that, when it's your time for your energy to go back, I think it's really important to just see those facts and think about, you know, how can we deal with the facts? Where mm-hmm. can we find joy? Where do we have control, right? Sure. I think accepting what we can't control gives us the freedom then to influence what we can control. And I yeah. think that, you know, you're, I think you're spot on about being afraid of death. You know, people are so afraid of death because it's, it's sort of the epitome of faith, right? Because we feel like we know all the answers of what's right in front of our face right here in our in our human body. But there's a fear of being gone and what's left or unfinished business. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, what I've come to adopt as like a philosophy for life with Joseph having a, a really catastrophic diagnosis is I'm not so afraid of death anymore. I'm more afraid of not living while we're here, yeah. right? And suffering. Right. And we tend to equate so much suffering with the physical form. Sure. With, you know, do we have enough money? Can we take vacations? Um, sure. What do we look like? What do we feel like? But so much of it comes from within. And and I think that's where you really resonate with people when you talk about vision, right? Like, mm-hmm. who are you? What do you want your life to look like? And how do we affect the people around us? I know for me, I focused a lot on when Joseph was diagnosed, what am I going to teach my other kids about resilience? Mm-hmm. And what am I going to teach my kids about how we handle adversity? Yeah. Danny, you talk about resilience, and I know that was a focus, you know, I think of your first book. It's such a term that's used all the time now. Mm-hmm. How do you define resilience? Resilience is the ability for us to move through difficult times. Mm. That's so it. simple. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. not so much, I don't know that resilience, though, is such a, you know, in the book I call it the path of resilience. You know, resilience is like a thing, right? So a noun, a person, place, or thing. I believe, though, resilience is more the actions, it's a verb. Yep. Right? Re- resilience is something we do. And some days we we do it better than others, quite honestly. Some days yeah. we fall into those pity parties. Some days, you know, fear keeps us from, from taking some actions that are a little bit risky for us, mm-hmm. you know, in our relationships and in, in our careers or whatever area we're in. So resilience is just that ability to move through it. And, and we all have it. I mean, there's just countless stories throughout mm-hmm. history of people who have moved through resilience, whether they were prisoners of war or they were sick or they lost loved ones, or, you know, here's some of the slaves from over the, the years when, you know, that brutal thing of slavery was around and yeah. you hear just such inspiring stories where the human spirit moved these people, mm-hmm. you know, people that were in the Holocaust that, you know, that have been through horrific, horrific human experiences and they come out the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, so resilience is there. It's just, what do you do to, to build that reservoir of resilience? Right. And again, I think it's prayer. I think it's support. I think it's being authentic. I think it's knowing that when, when you need to cry and be angry, let that go. It's normal. Let yeah. it go. And then take a deep breath and say, okay, what can I do right now? What's one thing I can do to create some joy and to continue to move us through this difficult time? You know, sometimes I'll ask people when they're in that kind of funky rut, I just offer them three questions and they work for me just about every time I just sit and I'll say, okay, what was good in my life? And I start Mm. to call it to mind some of that. And it could have been a trip I took, could have been, you know, a good financial thing that happened to me, a birth of my kids. What was good? 
what is good in my life. So now I look around and you can always find something yep. goodness. And then, you know, a little vision to say, what will be good? Mm, I what, love that. What will be good. Yeah. So I think that those three questions, they can kind of get you unhooked a little bit. So you talk about what will be good and, and you talk a lot about vision. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about building vision mm-hmm. in our personal lives. There's many ways to do it. The one that I've, I learned, and I learned it at the coaching school that I went to in 2007 called the Hudson Institute out in Santa Barbara. And what they do is they say, go to a future date, right? Because vision's what needs to be real. So go to that future date of a year from now and then look back and say, okay, if I have a really good year, what needs to happen? What needs to be real for me at the end of this year? Mm-hmm. And then you start to fill in the blanks around your relationships and your finance and your health, you know, in your career and your spirituality and maybe some fun and some travel and some trips and, you know, connection with your aging parents and, you know, frequency of seeing old friends and those kinds of things. So you just say, okay, here's the story of my life for the next year. And then you simply go into very creative mode, you know, screenwriter storytelling mode and pretend that if you and I are having a you know cup of coffee or a glass of wine or something at the end of the year, and I say, Marisa, how was your year? And you go, Danny, it was great. And I say, why? What are you going to tell me? Mm-hmm. You're going to start to tell me all the things that happened, how they happened, when they happened. Mm-hmm. So it's almost your goals for the year more in narrative and in story form. And I think what's really important is you write the big things. Now you're not going to write every day. Our emotions start to kick in it drives us to an action. And the other thing is you want to write it in past tense. You know, it's uh, so, it's so sure. important when we write it in past tense because our brain loves completion. It loves finishing things. Mm-hmm. So when we write it and it's written as if it's finished, but it's not, now there's that drive force to kind of, you know, what, what can I do to make this happen right now? It's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. So Danny, something, you know, horrible happened to you. You worked your way through it. Mm-hmm. Your story is, you know, it's changing people, but very few people chronicle their their struggles, their journey, the power of it like you have and like you continue to do. But we know, you and I both know there's so much power in storytelling and in telling our stories and being vulnerable and being open, but talking about what it took to get there. Mm-hmm. How do other people do that? Somebody who's like, I'm not going to write a book. Somebody might say, I'm not going to have a podcast. I'm not going to you know, start a business based on this, but you know, in a small way, but very with an open heart. Mm-hmm. How do we support, prop each other up? How do we love each other through mm-hmm. telling our stories? For folks out there, I would just you know, if they are the ones that you said, I'm never going to write a book, I'm never going to just, you know, the question is, are, are you here as part of your purpose for being here to support and encourage other people? And most people are always going to say yes. Then I would just encourage them to think back. What were a couple of the most impactful, brutal, difficult mm-hmm. challenges that you've gone through in life? And just kind of sit with those and think about them and, and then almost kind of put them into your Rolodex, so to speak, or into your filing cabinet. And just know that those stories of your struggle and your ability to move through it, your resilience, have the ability to really support other people Mm -hmm. because stories move us, stories are real. I would just encourage them to do that. And it's not as if you're talking about yourself, it's not, you know, from an ego point. Just to understand that our stories and the good ones as well will help more, more impactful. I think are the difficult and challenging times. 
because they they let people know that we're in this together and they let people know that you know moving through difficult times is quite possible and that you're just there to listen you know you don't have you don't have to understand what they're going through you know you're not expected to understand yeah you're Mm -hmm. just expected to show up love listen and maybe offer a couple observations for them to consider It's a great point. I think that sometimes we're afraid to share when our low moments or when we need help because we're, people have a tendency to want to fix it. Like, Mm -hmm. let me offer you solutions. Let me tell you how to get through it. And sometimes we really just want somebody to listen. Right. And building that connection through sharing our own story sometimes is is super powerful. Mm -hmm. So Danny, I'm kind of on the same vein as what we're talking about and sharing our stories. I'm real curious. If you think about Danny pre-accident when you were 28 versus... Mm -hmm. Danny Bader post tragic accident in the last several decades, mm-hmm. who were you before the accident? Well, I guess that's a great question. Who was I? I, I think I'm still the same person in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is earlier on, I was much more carefree. And then the accident, you know, kind of shook me a little bit and said, Hey, you know, this, this journey of life is, is really fragile and precious. And for some people that may move them into a more carefree state and say, you know, I'm going to go 10 bar on the beach and travel all around the world and experience it fully. For me, it was rather than just hopping around, like I was going to the beach and I was going to Aspen, Colorado, I was moving around a whole lot. I think it really solidified for me that there's a little bit more work for me to do. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure of what that was. I always had an inkling to support people and teach Mm-hmm. And I didn't pay attention to that, you know, because a lot of people didn't, they would say, oh, you know, that's okay. And you should do, you know, you should be in sales or, you know, teachers don't make any money. They came from the heart, but that was always squashed. Sure. I think what the accident did over time was release in me the knowing that I'm here to support people and through podcasts and books and conversations and perhaps just how I carry myself. It's really refreshing to hear you talk about that because I think when we see people as a teacher, somebody who imparts wisdom, sometimes that's the totality of what we see in them. And you are most definitely teacher and student. And and I think that's that's an incredible model. Mm. It's a pleasure to have you here. I am just I could talk to you for hours. As we wrap up, there's there is one thing I want to ask. When your time here really is done, we mm-hmm. thought it was done once, but at some point it really will be done. Again, when right? people, uh, yeah, when people look back and like, boy, that Danny Bader, what do you most hope your message to the world is? What do you hope your legacy is? What do you hope remains? A memory that I loved them, that I, I made them feel good and positive and planted some seeds of inspiration. And inspiration, if you think about it, you break it down to Latin, it's in spirit. Mm-hmm. So I planted some seeds of spirit within them that allowed them to connect to something bigger as they define it. It's a beautiful life, Danny, as I'm sure the people closest to you are so grateful that you're here and that you did come back and you're here for a long more time. I think you've got a lot more people to influence and in a difference to make in the world. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I I love your spirit. Yes. Um, Thank you. I love yours too. And I think we both, we both share that. So right back at you. Thanks, Danny. You got it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Our Way. If you enjoyed this, please share it and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Production support was generously provided by PTC Therapeutics and Sarepta Therapeutics. Thank you for making this possible. 
If you'd like to learn more about the work that Team Joseph is doing to support the Duchenne community and to make the world a better place, please visit us at teamjoseph.org.